you didn't uh, meet him, that's Pastor Ricky. He's one of our pastors here. Wasn't it great to have the band lead us? And man, so gifted. Uh, my name is Pastor Doug. I'm the senior pastor here, and it is a blessing for me just to have a chance to share from God's word a little bit. Before we get to that, though, I got to ask some questions. First of all, how many of you, when you were growing up as a kid, had some sort of family, um, you know, standard way of doing Easter egg hunts on Easter morning? Did you guys do Easter egg hunts? Raise your hands. The rest, some of you didn't do Easter egg hunts? Oh, I'll pray for you. I'm sorry. Okay. So we have this huge Easter egg, uh, this hunt. It's, a, it's an Easter egg hunt. We have an Easter egg hunt that's going to be huge. Um, coming up in between services, and the, it's plastic eggs filled with candy, right? You parents should know this. Plastic eggs filled with candy. When you were a kid, did you hunt for plastic eggs filled with candy, or did you hunt for chicken eggs? Chicken. <laughs> okay, it's not just me. See, I, I thought maybe you all need to feel sorry for me because my, there was no candy eggs at our house. What our tradition was, was that on Saturday, we, my brother and I would get together with my mom and we would dye eggs. She would hard boil eggs. We would dye them, right? All kinds of colors. And we each had a dozen that we did. And, and then apparently there's some giant rabbit who comes and lays colored eggs at night while the children are sleeping. That's what I heard. Never made much sense to me because I'd seen rabbits in the yard and I'd seen what they leave behind. And it's not, <laughs> not generally colored eggs. But hey, when you're going to get a special, it, the, feel, the deal for me was it was competition with my brother. And anytime there could be competition with my brother, it was a good thing. Now, to this day, I will tell you that he will not admit to it, but I know for a fact that he would get up in the middle of the night, find where the eggs were, and then go back to bed because every year he beat me at least two to one. It was like... How does he know where these eggs are? And always we collect, we, we, we had 24 eggs. Now, my mom was a drinker. So by the time the giant rabbit came to hide those eggs, she might not remember where they all were, okay? So, so what that meant was we would usually collect 21, 22 eggs, something like that, out of the 24 and not be able to find one or two. And, and, you know, that's a bummer because something is missing. But after a couple weeks, <laughs> something stinks. So we decided what we're going to do is do the candy eggs for your kids so your kids could get all sugared up and hyped up and you could tell them about when I was a kid and I used to walk uphill to school and all that stuff. All we got was hard-boiled eggs. But that's, the, that's uh, what's going to be happening today. So today's Easter, if you didn't figure that out, and I'm guessing that even if this is your first day setting foot in a Christian church, my guess is that you have some idea what this whole Easter thing is all about, that you have heard the story somewhere before, the historical events that took place a couple thousand years ago. There was a Friday night 
outside of Jerusalem in which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was beaten and scourged and illegally tried and humiliated and spat upon and had his beard ripped out of his face and was whipped and was then nailed to a cross naked in front of everyone and he hung there humiliated, hating the shame, the scripture tells us. And on that cross, on that day, the scripture tells us that he died. And not only does the scripture tell us that he died, but the historical accounts of the event tell us that there was a Roman soldier who came and took a spear, shoving it up between his ribs through the lung into his heart and bringing out blood and water, showing that the pericardium or the lining of his heart had burst and he was dead. They quickly took him off the cross. They wrapped his body quickly because it was the Sabbath that all had to be done before the sun went all the way down. They, they put him into a borrowed tomb. They sealed the tomb. The Roman soldiers had heard something about a resurrection and they wanted to make sure nobody came to steal the body. So they put a whole cohort of Roman soldiers to guard the tomb and they left this dead guy in that tomb Friday night and Saturday. And I just want you to think for a second what it must have been like for his followers on that Friday night, what it must have been like for his followers on that Saturday, when everything they believed in apparently turned out to be not true. When all of the hope they had put in Jesus to be their deliverer, to be their Messiah, to be the one who was going to set them free from the oppression of the Romans turned out to apparently be not true because some of them scattered and ran, but they could all see from the distance that he was dead. And they were all there at the tomb when he was placed in the tomb and the, and the stone was rolled across the opening of the tomb and the soldiers were placed outside to guard the tomb. Imagine what that Friday night must have been like. Most of us have lost a loved one and we know what that feels like, just the grief alone. But imagine when everything you have put your life into has died with that person. And imagine this, you're the next target what was it like to wake up on that Saturday morning realizing that they were the targets now? That if they did this to Jesus and he said to them, if they do this to me, they will do even worse to you. They were hiding out. They were weeping. They were consoling one another. They were doing everything they could just to get through the grief, none of them understanding what was going on. That was Friday. That was Saturday. But the good news is Sunday came. And when Sunday came, the scripture says that as the sun was rising, that there began to be a trembling in the tomb and that the stone was rolled away and an angel sat upon the stone and that Jesus himself, the same Jesus who was dead and buried, who was physically done, was laid in that tomb and wrapped in a linen cloth, that the linen cloth stayed on the ground and Jesus rose right through it. And that Jesus then stood in the garden, a risen Savior. That's why we're here today. That's what Easter's about. It is the foundation. It's the cornerstone of our whole faith. I want to read this to you from the book of 1 Corinthians. If you happen to bring a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can follow along. 
And let me just read it to you, beginning in 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now, this is Paul writing about this many years later. Here's what he says. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. There it is. That's the gospel. That's the cornerstone of the Christian faith. That's the thing that changed my life from being dead and dark to alive and bright. That's the difference right there. That Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, defeating not only sin for us, but ultimately defeating the great enemy, which is death. He died to pay the price for our sin, and he rose to overcome death. And he is alive to this very day, amen? amen? That's why we're here. That's why Easter's a big deal. That's why it's the biggest day of the year by far in my life. Now, he says that truth is of first importance. Why is it of first importance? Because it means that those who have already died in Christ have just fallen asleep. I love the phrase that they use all throughout the New Testament. They talk about when there's a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who dies, that they don't actually die. They say they fell asleep and that their day is coming when they too will raise. See, we have to understand, it is one thing for us to come and say, yes, we believe in a historical fact that Jesus, the Son of God, rose from the dead, and that should bring this question. So what? What difference does it make? I mean, we can argue all day long about the historicity of this and is the tomb really empty and what happened and all that kind of stuff, but until we so, uh, solve this problem, it doesn't matter. So what? What difference does it make to me? Well, one difference is that Jesus said that because he died, because he rose again, he makes it possible for us to rise again as well. He doesn't just make it possible for us to rise again, he guarantees it. And then that's, for that reason, those who die in Christ have fallen asleep. The resurrection of Jesus redefined death. The resurrection of Jesus redefined death. Death was once the undefeatable foe. But because of Christ's resurrection, death has lost its power for all those who believe. A couple weeks ago, uh, I went to a fantastic funeral. How many times have you heard somebody say that? I mean, it was a great funeral. It was such a celebration. You know why? Because the lady that we were there to honor had died a week before her 97th birthday, and for over nine decades, she had faithfully walked with Jesus Christ. And everyone who knew her knew that she loved Jesus. 
Everyone who knew her knew that Jesus was a life-changing God. Everyone who knew her experienced the love of God in some way. And person after person got up to to stand at the podium and, and talk about this lady and the impact she had had on their lives and how every one of them, what they said was first and foremost, she loved Jesus and because she loved Jesus, she loved people. So I had known this lady for a long time. She was very dear to me. And I had a smile on my face at that funeral because she had had a couple of strokes. She had become pretty much blind and pretty much deaf. She wasn't getting around. She wasn't able to really do much at the end of her life. But I knew that on that day, she was standing in the presence of her king. I knew that it wasn't just him who rose, but that because he rose, we can be raised too. And so the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, it redefined death. Now, I want to read to you from the book of Romans. If you have your Bible, you can go to Romans 6. And I want, I want you to hear this. Romans 6, beginning in verse 3. Again, Paul's writing, he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection." See, it's not just a story about a guy who rose from the dead. It is a promise that those of us who put our trust in him will also receive new life. And I'm not just talking about new life in heaven, which, by the way, sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Like eternity in heaven when we know that we're all sinners and what we deserve But I'm not just talking about that. He says that we might be raised to new life. The life that we get in Christ when we come into a relationship with him is new life. And so he didn't just redefine death with his resurrection. He redefined life. He said that you might walk in newness of life. That is right now, right here, joy instead of sadness, Hope instead of mourning, peace instead of chaos, a relationship with God instead of enmity with God, right here, right now, every day, my life different because Jesus rose from the grave. But the early followers of Christ, they didn't understand any of that on Friday night. They didn't understand any of that on Saturday afternoon. Everyone we see in the gospel accounts after the crucifixion is devastated. We, we see these two disciples of Jesus. They're on, the, on the, what's called the road to Emmaus. They're going back to their hometown. They've washed their hands of the whole thing. And they're just trying to get out of there before the heat gets turned up. And they find themselves hanging on a cross. And they're on the road to Emmaus. And that the scripture desfi- describes them as being downcast and brokenhearted. Or, or think about the other disciples, most of whom were fishermen, and then we find them in John chapter 21, and what have they done? They've returned to their fishing boat, and they're out on the water. Jesus called them. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And when Jesus died and they didn't understand, they went right back to their boats and said, we're going to be fishers of fish. Brokenhearted, 
confused. Judas killed himself. Thomas couldn't believe it. Something was missing in their lives. They had once been filled with hope. Now they're devastated and hopeless. In fact, it had gone beyond the point where something was missing. It had reached the point where it was starting to stink. They had left everything for him. Now they're in grave danger of finding themselves in the exact same situation. They'd lost the one person who gave their life purpose. The one person who gave their life any sense of real meaning. There's something devastating about the disappointment that comes in a time like this that just zaps the energy out of your life and makes it hard for you to go on. But his resurrection changed all of that. Also, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, it says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, it's just another way of saying what he said a couple of chapters ago, that, that it's not just Jesus who gets life, but it's we who get life. But don't miss what it says at the beginning. It says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Followers of Jesus, if you have a personal relationship with Christ, what that means is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead also is the spirit that rules in your life. The same power that rolled away the stone, dumbfounded the soldiers, and put an end to death and brought new life. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power by which you are to love your neighbor or love your husband or love the laundry. Have, have joy in life in all circumstances. The power by which you get to live and not just survive. See, Jesus did not pay that price on the cross so that we could survive. He paid his price on the cross so that we could thrive. And there's all the difference in the world the same Holy Spirit that breathed life into the lifeless body of Jesus Christ can also breathe life into your broken marriage. The same Spirit that, that brought the power of the resurrection is the same Spirit that is available right now to you in your daily work life, in your career. Some of you are just stuck in your job and you hate it. And you're just thinking, it's such a dead end. Why am I here? Others of you wish you could find a job that you could be stuck in and hate. Because what you really hate is not paying the rent because you've been out of work for so long. Some of you, your career is just going the wrong direction. Some of you, it's totally on hold. I'm telling you, when Jesus Christ and his resurrection power gets infused into your daily life so you take him to work with you, it changes everything. Same power. The same power of the resurrection is available right now in your life and mine to overcome your addictions, to heal your brokenness, to restore your innocence, to bring back your health, 
to give you new joy, to renew your hope. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead is offered to you in your everyday life. It's not just pie in the sky when I die. It's right now today. But so many of us are just stumbling along, just trying to get through the next day on our own power, just trying to survive. Imagine this. Through some weird circumstances, somebody comes to you and says, hey, listen, we're gonna do a race. And it's a quarter mile race. And uh, we're gonna do it next week. And if you win, it's a million dollars. You're in. Now some of you are saying, um, I'll just pass, thank you very much. I don't need a million bucks that well. Others of you would be training tomorrow, right? And, and on the day of the race, you'd be out there, you'd be stretching. Man, it hurts to do that. You just imagine, right? Stretching. <laughs> you, you'd, be, you'd be getting the right shoes, doing everything you can. You'd be lined up at the line. You're ready to go. And you're waiting to hear the sound of the starter pistol. And then you hear something different. And you look behind you. And you realize it's the revving of the engine of a Ferrari and the person you're racing against driving a Ferrari. Now, I got a question for you. Who's going to win that race? The one on their own power or the one under the power of the Ferrari? Guys, listen. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ makes a Ferrari look like a matchbox car. And, and some of us are still ready to run the race on our own strength. And we wonder why it's going the way it is. Imagine that, that, well, there are groups that go down this time of year, every year to Mexico from Southern California to build houses as mission projects. It's a big thing during Easter break. Schools go down, church youth groups, a lot of people go down and they build these houses. They just go for a week. And in a week, they build a whole house for a family, Right? Now imagine you had to build that house for a week and you have a choice. You can use a hammer and a saw or you can use power tools. Which one are you gonna use? And yet many of us are attacking our lives with a hammer and a saw. In, in Philippians chapter three, we won't take the time to read it, but in Philippians chapter three, Paul describes his life. He says, listen, I have all the money I've ever needed. I have the best education. I am uh, highly favored in my community. I come from the right family. I have the right uh, bloodline. I have the right job. I have everything. I was set for life until the day I met Jesus, Paul says. And he goes, but now I look at all that stuff all those accomplishments, all the money, all the fame, all the power. I look at all that stuff, and the best way I could describe it is a big steaming pile of garbage compared to knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. See, Paul said resurrection power actually infuses my life day by day. And in the same letter, he said, by the way, that's why I'm content when I'm rich and content when I'm poor. My circumstances no longer have any power over me because I'm living my life in resurrection power. And I now have power to live with joy. 
Where does that resurrection power come from? He says in Philippians, he says it comes from God on the basis of faith. In other words, you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. I don't care how religious you are, you will not impress God enough to get him to give it to you. The only way you get that resurrection power is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ in a personal relationship. It's not about religious activities. It's not about how often you attend church or how much money you put in the offering plate. I hope you put it a lot. (laughs) It's not about any of those things. It is about the grace of God and the faith that he gives you to believe. And when you put that faith in Christ, it means he becomes Lord. That means boss. That means you begin to live in this newness of life. And that means you walk with him. And if you've yet to do that, may I suggest to you today that there is no day like Easter to infuse resurrection power into your life, amen? That there, there's no time better than today than to say, God, listen, I've been trying to run the race on my own, but I just saw a guy in a Ferrari and that looks better. God, I've been trying to, to do all this with my own hands and with my own tools, with my own abilities, but God, I just seen people now using power and I need that kind of power. God, I've been trying to live life that to me doesn't feel like life, but now I need this new life. Oh, Jesus, won't you please Enter into my heart, be my Lord, be my Savior. Help me to follow you day by day. There's no better time than today to do that. And if you've never done that, I I pray that you think about this. Maybe God has you here today. You thought you were here because your grandmother said, if you come, I'll give you 10 bucks. I know. (laughs) But maybe you're here today because God wants you to know that he has life waiting for you. And today's the day for you to say yes. And, and one last word, it, even if you're a Christian, if you've been trying to live life on your own power, don't you think it's about time that you got plugged in? Don't you think it's about time that you decided that I'm no longer gonna try to do this on my own? I'm not gonna try to be righteous on my own because my righteousness, the scripture says, is filthy rags. <laughs> That's the best I can do. I'm gonna let Jesus' righteousness fill me. Maybe it's time for you to get plugged in. Maybe you need to stop doing some stuff that you know God doesn't want you involved in and get involved in some stuff he wants you to be involved in, like prayer and fellowship and worship and those kinds of things. Guys, it's a tough world out there. You don't need me to tell you that. And when you're just stumbling along trying to do it on your own power, you will not make it. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead by the same power that he offers to you and me to walk in newness of life. Isn't it about time to get plugged into the source of that life? Let's stand together and pray. Father, on this Easter Sunday, we come to you as your children, realizing, God, that um, so much of our lives we have spent trying to do things on our own power. But Father, thanks for reminding us today that you offer us resurrection power. And we pray, God, that you would fill us with that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, that we might not only have eternal life, but live every day here on earth in the beauty of that eternal life. 
And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to rejoice and have fellowship and enjoy time together. We pray for this Easter egg hunt that you would just bless the kids. Someone will find the massive egg. We pray, God, that you would just continue to bless this whole day. But in all of the festivities, don't let us lose you, Jesus. Let us keep our hearts and our minds fixed on you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now,